decreed from all time by infinite destiny, and that no man could evade the doom unless it were written that he should die in another way than this. Now them these had cast the horoscope of Fulbra, and though he found therein certain ambiguities that his science could not resolve, it was nevertheless written plainly that the king would not die in Euros. Where he would die, and in what manner were alike doubtful. But Themdes, who had served Altath, the father of Fulbra, and was no less devoted to the new ruler, had wrought by means of his magical art an enchanted ring that would protect Fulbra from the silver death in all times and places. The ring was made of a strange red metal, darker than ruddy gold or copper, and was set with a black and oblong gem, not known to terrestrial lapidaries, but gave forth eternally a strong aromatic perfume. The sorcerer told Fulbra never to remove the ring from the middle finger on which he wore it, not even in lands afar from Euros, and in days after the passing of the Silver Death. For if once the plague had breathed upon Fulbra, he would bear its subtle contagion always in his flesh, and the contagion would assume its wanted virulence with the ring's removal. But Vemdes did not tell the origin of the red metal and the dark gem, nor the price at which the protective magic had been purchased. With a sad heart, Fulbra had accepted the ring and had worn it, and so it was that the silver death blew over him in the night and harmed him not. But waiting anxiously on the high tower, and watching the golden lights of Farad rather than the white implacable stars, he felt a light passing chillness that belonged not to the summer air. And even as it passed, the gay noises of the city ceased, and the moaning lutes faltered strangely and expired. A stillness crept on the carnival, and some of the lamps went out and were not relit. In the palace beneath him, there was also silence, and he heard no more the laughter of his courtiers and chamberlains. And Vemdes came not, as was his custom, to join Falbra on the tower at midnight. So Falbra knew himself for a realmless king, and the grief that he still felt for the noble Alta was swollen by a great sorrow for his perished people. Hour by hour he sat, motionless, too sorrowful for tears. The stars changed above him, and Akernar glared down perpetually like the bright, cruel eye of a mocking demon, and the heavy balsam of the black-jeweled ring arose to his nostrils and seemed to stifle him. And once the thought occurred to Fulbra, to cast the ring away and die as his people had died. But his despair was too heavy upon him even for this. And so, at length, the dawn came slowly in heaven's pale as the silver death and found him still on the tower. In the dawn, King Fulbra rose and descended the coiled stairs of periphery into his palace. And midway on the stairs, he saw the fallen corpse of the old sorcerer Vemdes, 
who had died even as he climbed to join his master. The wrinkled face of MDs was like polished metal and was whiter than his beard and hair, and his open eyes, which had been dark as sapphires, were frosted with the plague. Then, grieving greatly for the death of MDs, whom he had loved as a foster father, the king went slowly on. And in the suites and halls below, he found the bodies of his courtiers and servants and guardsmen, and none remained alive, excepting three slaves who warded the green brazen portals of the lower vaults far beneath the palace. Now Fulbra bethought him of the council of MDs, who had urged him to flee from Yoros and to seek shelter in the southern isle of Sintram, which paid tribute to the kings of Yoros. And though he had no heart for this,